This is something we've been working on for a while, and it's the book of Job. The title is called Speak, because that's what we think happens in the book of Job. I'm gonna, today's going to be kind of interesting, because we're doing an intro to the book today, right? So kind of an overview. You, you probably know the story of Job, if anything else, and some people know Job because he's patient. Some know of Job because he suffers. And some know of the book of Job because it's terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible book. Like, if you were going to write um, a book like this, don't put it in your Bible. That's, you know, so we have to go, well, why is that in there exactly, right? Uh, and so, anyway, I'm joking because I actually love the book of Job. But we're going to spend a few weeks now kind of walking through the book of Job. Can I encourage you to do something? Uh, spend the time to read the book of Job. It's 42 chapters long, right? And it's a pretty good pull to read it. I usually tell you if it's easier, you know, but it's pretty good. If you're like me, I get about three-fourths of the way through, and it gets really discouraging, the book of Job, right? So it's on this kind of trajectory journey, and there's these ups and downs, and it just goes like right down to the bottom. And, but still, push through and see what God has uh, to teach you through it, right? And a great way to do this, and we're in the, the season of grass cutting, is put in some earbuds, uh, pull up the Bible Gateway app, and just pe- press play and listen to the Word. Uh, I find that about the time I'm done on grass, I'm done listening to Job. <laughs> so maybe you have a little more or less grass than I do. But it's a great way to get the word of God in you and to be thinking about what God's story is about, uh, why he has this in there, and what we have to learn from it. So the hope in this series is that we're going to dialogue about Job. And I'm going to give you a heads up right now. Around week four, we want to do a little Q&A, right? Because we're going to start to decompress some of the things that we see in Job. And so be thinking about that already, like in four weeks out, you know? What are the questions you have about Job? What are the things that you find intriguing? And then we'll, we'll address those uh, around week four. Um, and we're going to talk about, the, about Job, but as anything happens, it starts out about Job, but it's really about us. <laughs> the reason we like Job is because it makes us uncomfortable about the reality that we live in. And so uh, we're going to talk about that, our own struggles as well. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we get into the Word this morning. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have to be gathered in your presence, in your name, to know more about who you are and who we are. And we believe that only you define that. Like, you speak and we exist, and you knit us together in our mother's wombs, and you cause us to breathe, and you you cause us to continue to breathe, and then you cause us to stop breathing. And we trust you with every step of that journey. Father God, in the days ahead, in this time that we spend in your book, would you give us revelation of who you are and, and um, your care and your love and your plan for us? Would you help us to know you more fully? Would you help us to grapple with maybe things that we would rather not even think about, Father? But help us to do that in a way that is glorifying to you and meaningful, edifying to us. We love you so much. We thank you for a chance to grow in our faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in a minute, we're going to do a little tag team preaching this morning. J.C. Harrison, he's back there. I'm going to tag him in in a second. But before he comes in to preach this morning, I guess we're going to get you a microphone. We haven't thought this through at all. Oh, you got it. Awesome. Praise God. Can you do that microphone thing? No, not right now. But I mean, you have the ability. I don't have that kind of coordination to hold a Bible and a microphone. It's just too much stuff for me to keep track of. So I really would struggle with that. So I'm glad you're doing it, not me. So the funny thing is, I was, it was over a year ago, I think, we were just having a casual conversation, and uh, I was just kind of going, I love, the book of Job came up, and I'm like, I love the book of Job, and Jason and I were talking, and, and uh, I won't say what he, but he kind of talked to me about his experience of the book of Job, and I was like, what? And I, I started to make me thinking, like, man, not everybody has the same experience of the book, right? And so I want to tell you what I think about the book of Job real quick. This is my synopsis of the book of Job. I love the book of Job because God speaks. 
I love the book of Job because I was an atheist before. I was a believer. I mean, some folks are raised in the church. They've always been in the church, and I get that. And I was raised in the church, too. Like, I was raised in a church, but I never knew Christ as Savior. And I'd even gone to some camps, and I did the whole altar call thing. So, I mean, I'm not casting aspersions upon my, the faith of my youth or those moments as I was a young person. But there came a point where God spoke in my life in a way that I could not deny him anymore. And it wasn't about anybody else, it was about him and I and what he was, who he is. And as this is the synopsis is, uh, he's God, I'm not. And up to that point I thought, he's not God, I might be. That's what I was thinking, right? And so for me, when I read the book of Job, the whole over, overarching narrative is, Job is suffering and needs to hear God speak. And if that was the end of the message, that'd be pretty depressing if Job was just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. But man, that's why I say you get around chapter 36, 37, it gets super dark, you know? But then all of a sudden, God starts speaking. And I love that God speaks. I want to just say that's why I love the book, because I want you to be encouraged. If you're waiting your life for God to speak, listen to me, God speaks. He is speaking. And we might find in this book, he speaks in ways that we would never expect so that's me. Um, I think then that's my experience, that God speaks. But here's the last thing, and then I'm going to turn this over to JC, so get ready. Um, people need to hear from God. <laughs> I mean, as believers, you know, we, we go, well, can't you just believe? Why don't you just believe? But people need to hear from God. And, and yes, sometimes at church we speak. We say, you know, you're loved, you're not forgotten, we're here. But people ultimately need to hear from God in some way that's immutable, that's, non, that's non-negotiable. And that's always my prayer is that God would speak in the lives of others as he spoke in the lives of those of us who know him. And if you know him, he has spoke in your life in some way. So, all right, I'm going to invite J.C. Harrison to come up here and share what's on his heart and mind. Thanks, Bill. Your experience is not my experience, and you and I have talked about that a lot. Um, When we start talking about Job, I have not always liked the book, and right now I appreciate the book, but I probably am not all the way there to say I love the book because it's a very difficult book to read. I was born um, and raised in Southern Baptist Church. My dad was a Southern Baptist preacher for 30 years, and so, you know, you do the right things, you get rewarded on earth, even though... We don't like to think that that's what we're taught. A lot of times as you grow up in Christ, that's what you start to believe. If I follow Christ, I do the right things, good things are going to happen. And then you read the book of Job, and you're like, God had a faithful servant, and he just decides to let Satan destroy him. And you just, and then God doesn't even tell Job in the end why. We don't find out until James, and we're going to, if you want to open that up, we're going, to, we're going to start the introduction to Job by reading from James. Let me get it back up here on my phone here. James 5, uh, we'll read verses 10 and 11. It says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So in business or whatever you do, a lot of times when you start a new project, you tell your team, begin with the end in mind. This is all we have other than God bringing glory to himself at the end of the book of Job. That passage in James, that's all we have for the purpose of Job in the Bible. 
to, pr to prove God's love and his mercy and his compassion. And if you read the book, you go, where's the compassion? And then to also prove Job's steadfastness. Now that one is crystal clear. You will, come across, you will come away from the book of Job with an absolute understanding that Job is one of the most steadfast, faithful, patient per people that you'll ever, and, and that's, why, that's why God bragged about him to Satan. Um, I'm not gonna steal everything Bill's gonna say, but uh, so anyway, uh, for those of us who read, read words and read settings and go, okay, I need a little bit more detail before I read the book. It, it, the setting starts in the land of Uz. That's probably like the northwest corner of Saudi Arabia, south of uh, Israel. That area is probably where it was. And if you read Job, you'll see that he had lots and lots of animals. He was the uh, well, you know, he was the, probably the richest man in the area. And then your brain goes, "That's a desert." Um, it's not always been a desert. Job lived to be about 200 years old. Abraham lived to be about 175. Noah, 900 and something. His kids, 500. So after the flood, when the, when the protection of all the UV rays and all that stuff happened, people didn't live to be 900 years old anymore. So you can start seeing how their ages tail off. And so the ages of the people listed in the Bible kind of help you kind of know where we're at. So he's probably... Uh, a little bit before Abraham, probably around when Abraham's father was around. That's the background. We also kind of know the setting because if you, in the first couple of chapters, it talks about the raiders that came in and, and, and did uh, that, that Satan basically was given free reign. It tells their locations that they came from, and those locations are around that area. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I just want to give you all the background. Uh, and I'll try to quit saying, um, Julie, I know it's driving you crazy. <laughs> we teach our, we teach our children not to say um and I think I've counted 3 or 4 times I've already said it. So <laughs> author tradition says it was Moses. Uh Moses lived 40 years in Midian, Midian, which is nearby us and he may have heard of the story then. Also, it's considered that Solomon possibly could have done it if we're talking about authors that we know have authored other books in the Bible. It could have been somebody totally else, to totally somebody else. Uh, this was of God, just like Moses was not there when God created the world. However, God, through the Holy Spirit, told Moses was to write down when he wrote down the first five books of the Bible. So that's the, that's the author. And let's see. Get ready, Bill. I'm just about done. The compassion and mercy and steadfastness of Job is what we love when people say they love the book of Job. What people come away with, the troublesome that I have had with the book of Job, is the fairness of God, which in turn puts me on the throne when I say I don't think God's fair. So as you study and you, and you read this book, there's a key concept in Scripture that I would encourage you as you read Job and study and listen to it and struggle with it. You come to know Christ. You had the free will to say no. He had the free will to say yes. But you came to know Christ. Now how are you going to study Christ? And how are you going to study the Bible? Are you going to put your decision that you made in front and then put God behind? Or now that you're a Christian, are you going to study your salvation? Are you going to study God's word by God being in front that he brought his love to you? And your decision behind his thoughts. So as you study Job, try to put yourself where it should be 
behind God and put God in the forefront as you study Job, and it will help things out. You will still struggle. And I'm looking forward to the Q&A that Bill threw out in a few weeks whenever we decide to have it. Um, it's going to be fine. So, Bill? Awesome. So, so those are our conversations that kind of started all this, <clears throat> and then I'll tell a little more of the story. So it's funny because JC, as you just heard, he's like, I'm not where you are with this book. And I'm like, that's okay. So I dropped it. Fast forward like seven months, and JC comes up and he's like, I've been praying about the book of Job. I'm like, okay, off my radar completely. He goes, we need to do a sermon, sermon series on this. And I go, really? We need to do a sermon series? He's like, I think so. And I go, awesome. And he goes, not right now. But in the spring, I just want you to know how long it's been. So that was probably around November timeframe-ish when he came and said he had this leading. And uh, I love it. And so one of the great blessings already from studying the book of Job this time around, because I've read it before. I love the book before. Um, <clears throat> but is I've never co-prepped a series before. It's been awesome. And that's nothing more than just basically doing a Bible study and kicking ideas around. Y'all can do that with anybody in your life. Like, read a book with somebody else and then wrestle with what it means. I appreciate what JC said there at the end about, you know, letting God speak, letting God be in the front of your faith life. And here's the thing, my favorite verse on the retreat, we said, what's your favorite verse? Mine is Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it'll be answered. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And then it says this, as if that's not enough already. That's my favorite verse, by the way, is because everyone who asks is answered and everyone who seeks does find and everyone who knocks the door is open those are guaranteed promises that and that's what i'm like in the good book of job just keep asking questions keep seeking answers and keep knocking on the door god i don't get it god this is hard in my faith life god i don't understand as jc said why you would point out your faithful servant to satan what in the world are you doing? And I think that those kind of honest conversations with God and then honest conversations with others in our life without those cheap, because we get those cheap answers, don't we? Like, just get it, let's just move on to something easier to talk about, you know? And um, one of the great, like, immediate things that comes to mind is a question the culture has all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people, right? And I've heard some snarky comment, uh, Christian, like, well, show me a good person, right? That's pretty snarky. There's a fundamental question being asked, and it's this, life, is, is life fair or not? Are the righteous rewarded and the wicked punished or not? Is there justice or not? Have you been watching what's happening? No justice, no peace. There's this cry from humanity about the righteousness of God and his intended purpose in this world, and Job speaks directly to that stuff. And so if we can't get that right in our heads and our hearts, we're going to be wrong about a whole bunch of other stuff. So I just can't encourage you enough to ask, seek, knock, to be honest with God about your own struggles in this, and then just see what God has for you. So now we're going to get into the Word. I'm going to ask you to open the book of Job, chapter 1. And we're just going to do a few kind of um, uh, opening verses here to talk um, about Job. So, as J.C. said, here's the word. In the land of Uz, there, was a, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people in the east. I'm going to stop there and just talk through that right there. So literally, a couple things you can tell right away. Um, the, we talked about authorship of the book of Job and where that's found and stuff like that. The book of Job is poetic. 
As a matter of fact, the most of what you'll read, it's actually written in like stanza and verse, which I didn't like that when I had to study that stuff in school. I just, just didn't get it. But I love poetry. I love poetic language, you know, ornate language. But I was surprised to find out that some of the earliest manuscripts of Job were written in such an ornate handwriting that they thought it was exotic. They thought it was another nation. It, it couldn't be Hebrew. It didn't even look like Hebrew. But then as they began to look at the documents, they started to realize that what it was was very simple Hebrew language in a very flowery and ornate presentation. Why? Because it was supposed to engage you in this conversation about a foreign land. And we had the very first uh, sentence here, in the, name of, in the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. You can almost hear the poetry already, right? So in this faraway land, I appreciate what you shared about the location. People don't know exactly where Uz was, <laughs> you know, because like, where was us? Like, I don't know where us was. So I did a little research too, because I was like, well, you know, usually if you have a, a namesake, there's a, a reason for that, the land of us. And um, the word, by the way, us means consultation or a place to take advice or a place to plan together, right? So there's already a conversation in the land he's in. Like, this is an interesting place, you know? The land of us. So there are several lineages. There are several uses in the Bible. And I'm just going to run through them real quick because this makes a difference but doesn't. It's a namesake thing. I just think it's interesting because the time frame, as JC already shared, it sets it in. Here's one us. Noah has a son named Shem, has a son named Aram, has a son named Uz. That's Genesis 10, 22. First time we find Uz in the Bible, I believe. Then there is what JC mentioned, Terah, which is um, uh, Abraham's father. Terah, I believe, uh, is his father. But Nahor is definitely his brother. I have my notes. And then his brother's, so Abram's nephew, Uz, right? Second time. Now, here's a really interesting one. So in the, in the middle of this, these namesakes, there's this uh, seer, the Horite. And seer, the Horite, it just shows up in the lineage from nowhere, like, and there's a big debate about who the Horites were, why they were there, and there's this idea that, and we're going to get into, if you can believe it, Esau, right, because the land of Edom and the Edomites, but there was this idea that Esau, remember Esau and Jacob, Esau left Jacob because he had too many flocks, and they expanded into a land, and that was the land of Uz, near Canaan and the Canaanites, and they, and they have this idea that maybe the Horites were Canaanites or in the Canaanite area, and these are all nomadic people. So we're going to hear that in the story too. Part of Job's loss is actually because of raiders, because they're nomadic, and they have these flocks that they're tending and they're moving around. So this is not a place where you have a farm and you just establish your boundaries, but you're constantly moving, constantly grazing. And as he shared, that Moses was actually part of that in the 40 years where he's journeying around in a foreign land and hearing these foreign stories. And then so you have Seir the Horite, Deshaun, his son, and his grandson, Seir's grandson, Uz. That's actually found in Genesis 36 and 1 Chronicles 142. So there's it. But then there's this interesting thing. It's the Edomite land. It's the land where Esau settled. And uh, there's this idea that uh, the Edomites are the red people. And I always think about the red people because, like, you know, like red with anger. You know how uh, Esau was? He's the, he was the burly guy. He was the big brother, you know, and all that. And he was the older son, you know, and he sold his heritage and all that stuff. We can't get into it. But also, apparently, the clay in the area was red. And so the people looked red from all the clay. So, like, literally, the soil's getting on them. And they're like, those are those red people. And they weren't literally red, but they probably looked red. And so the Edomites in the red. One last point here, and we'll move on to Job himself. This is a, a district to the east 
of Palestine, a foreign land. And, and, and the furthest I've seen Uz place was the other side of the Euphrates, which is like way over there, right? That's truly a foreign land. But there is the idea in the way the text is written and the way that the word unfolds that it's, a, it's supposed to be an exotic experience. And, and you're going to get some scale and scope of the grandiosity of God from the book of Job that's just stunningly beautiful, stunningly uh, relevatory in the scale and scope of the things that God is doing. And then we will find that this book is about a man named Job. Like, whatever you also want to make it about, it's about Job. The book starts and ends about Job and his life. And so we're going to talk about that today as well. So here we go now. So in the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. Who is Job? You might, you know, you ever heard that um, the thing, the way you name your kid matters, <laughs> you know? Uh, the word, the name Job means hated. H-A-T-E-D, hated. That's crazy. Or more kindly, persecuted. <laughs> but when you read it, Hated feels more right. <laughs> Persecuted seems more right when you read the end of the story. But Job is a person who, in this story, is afflicted severely. But let's talk about what the book says about Job. And this is what we're going to do. Just dig into the text. Look at what it says. The man, this man, Job, this one, was what? First of all, blameless. He was blameless in the land. That means he was complete. He was guiltless. He was perfect. It means he was morally pious. It means if you were looking around for a good dude, you would say, Job, Job's a good dude. Everyone agreed Job was a good dude. You got to get that. Like he was seen that way in the land. The second thing was that Job was upright, it says there, right? He was, he was blameless and upright. Upright means to be straight, to be right, to be pleasing. Listen to this. I love it. To be straight forward. Job didn't put on airs. He didn't pretend. He was, as I used to say in IT, WYSIWYG. Who knows what WYSIWYG means? What you see, that's right, nerds, what you see is what you get. It comes right at you. There's no deception, no illusion, nothing else. It's WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get, baby. It is what it is. That's Job. Job is who he is all the time. And so he's blameless. He's upright. I love that definition of straightforward. Job would come right at you. Like, it's cool. Like, I'll just tell you what's going on. The third thing, check it out. Job feared God. That means that he was fearful and he was reverent, and we're going to hear that in the next few verses, toward God, and the God here is Elohim, interestingly enough. We're going to talk about that later in the series too, but Elohim is God, the God of gods, the God above all gods. He was faithful, fearful to him, the supreme God. So you have Job being blameless and upright, and he feared God, the God, not little g, God but God, right? The supreme one. And then last thing, not only did he, so I'm just thinking about Job now, y'all. And I'm like, he's blameless. He's upright. He fears God. Good enough. You know, that's cool, man. That's like, that's like way better than most of us are doing. You know, just those things right there, being blameless, being upright and fearing God. You can just live your life that way. You know, he shunned evil. It says, he, he, he didn't just like dabble or tolerate. He shunned it. He, he fled from it, the word says. He, he was uh, turning away constantly from evil. That's evil. Nope. That's evil. Nope. He's, he's disciplined and diligent. He's faithful, fearful, and his fear means something. He's not fearful like, yeah, I fear God, but I do what I want. That's not Job. Job does what he thinks God wants him to do all the time. He's, you can see this. He's declining evil. He's departing from evil. 
He's leaving displeasure behind. He doesn't even get involved in mischief or trouble of any sort. No wickedness. Listen to me. Job strived to do no wrong. No wrong. You ever heard that verse in the New Testament, be perfect as I am perfect? Like, what? Like, that's Job's life. Y'all, there's a real God, and I ain't playing with that stuff. He's turned away. He's righteous. He's blameless. Or he's blameless. He's upright. He fears God, and he shuns evil. <laughs> Just to wrap it up, lest we miss it, and we're going to get it, the, the animals we're talking about in a second, too, but it says, he, this is in verse 3, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now, there's that foreign concept again. But Job was the greatest man amongst all people. I am the greatest. That's Job. You remember that? Muhammad Ali? I'm the greatest. Right? Every time he said, like, dude, if, 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 should you be saying that if you're the greatest? <laughs> That's kind of a wild thing, you know? But it wasn't so much that Job was saying about myself, I'm the greatest. People were saying, he's the greatest. <laughs> goat, he's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. He's the greatest I've ever known. And he's that guy in the foreign land. Uh, one last thing. We talked about authorship a little bit. Job is an oral tradition story. Very likely, maybe Moses heard it in Midian. And then he's like, wow. And it integrates that into this revelation from God that he's going to free his people, right? And so there is this idea that it's an oral tradition. One of my favorite things is um, people who are, who are uh, looking at the Bible honestly, they'll say, this wisdom may be even older than we know, right? The book of Job. It, it, a friend of mine who was a pastor said, it's one of the earliest books of the Bible that were recorded. We had the Pentateuch, the first five books, but Job was an oral narrative that needed to be written down because it had been passed down generation to generation. And this Job, this Job, y'all, was the greatest. Have you ever known a truly great person in your life? Like a person you, oh, that's great, man. I, I have a bunch of them, man. I want to be more like that guy, more like that lady, more like those folks, more like that pastor. I have all these kind of, you know, folks that I respect and revere and want to pursue, want to be more like. Can you imagine one person everybody agreed on? Job, he's that guy. Everyone. Job's the greatest. That's pretty wild to me. They even had a kind of an agreement that he would be, to have a story told about you for generations is remarkable, Right? Check this out then, verse four. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. And they'd invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Now here, you can't hear this again without his righteousness coming through. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice burnt offerings for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And listen to the last word. This was his regular custom. So I've laid out this kind of big vision for who Job is and, and uh, the way he functions in the world, right? His own concern, you know. But the first point on your card, if you have a card this morning, is Job was righteous. He was worried about righteousness, right? Like Job is so much so that not only for himself, because that's enough, right? That's a full-time job for me just taking care of myself. But Job was worried about the righteousness of his kids, he, and they had these parties, and these parties are trippy because, like, I just go, why are they there? Like, it's there for a reason. There's some reason that, that, that this is revealed that Job's children have parties. The best understanding is they're like birthday parties, 
It was their day, you know. But when they had the day, they had a day, you know what I mean? They had, a, they had some kind of a blowout. Now, I've gotten some pushback from somebody, I won't say names, JC, who says, you know, maybe, Bill, they weren't being crazy at these parties. But to me, it's called a feast for a reason. And when it says they eat and drink, I think they ate and they drank. I think they were having a good old time. And, you know, you already had heard the, all the animals, the 7,000 sheep and the 3,000 camels. I mean, Dad was loaded, baby. And they were doing pretty well, probably. And they probably had a pretty good shindig. Matter of fact, what does the word say there? It says, when the time of feasting, listen to me, when the period of feasting had run its course, Job was worried about righteousness. You know what that means? It means it wasn't just a, hey, let's have some dinner tonight and uh, sing a birthday cake song and, and then everybody go home. And, you know, No, probably not. It's probably a little rowdy. I'm just saying, church, probably a little rowdy. So much so that Job wanted to purify them after the defilement. There's no reason to be purified. There's no defilement. If you go, oh, those kids didn't do nothing last night, but you're like, oh, those kids did something last night. Lord, forgive them, right? That's Job, man. He's like, something's going on. I love the idea that when the, 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 the period of feasting had run its course, it means to run a race and full the lap. You come across the finish line. It's over. And at that point, and you could almost just sense Job the father going, are they done yet? Are they done yet? Because there's a righteous God, man, and right now. And what does he do? It says he calls for them to have them purified right? Fair enough. And it says that he then sacrificed burnt offerings for each one of them. What is that? He had um, five sons and three daughters. And so he would sacrifice and he would sacrifice and he would sacrifice. If you're reading the Bible in a year, like we, some of us are doing right now, we're in Leviticus, and that's all about the sacrificial. And it's very detailed what has to happen, how you have to rinse the animal's neck, how you have to slaughter the animal, wash. It's not a clean process. It's ugly. And he did that for every one of his kids, you know? So he's like son number one and son number two and son number three. By the way, they're nameless here. That's interesting. Just five sons and three daughters. I'm sorry, seven? Huh? Ten total, seven sons, three daughters. Thank you. And then he would make the sacrifice on their behalf. I was going to say something here too, right? The sons would invite the daughters over. I, I think there's something interesting going on with the sons and daughters. I don't fully understand it. Maybe you have an understanding better than I do. But there's something going on with these seven sons, thank you, and three daughters. And so he makes sacrifice for each one of them. And I want you to see what his concern is for them. Because it's enough that he said, oh, you know, God, be merciful, whatever. Here's what he says. I make sacrifice of burnt offerings before the Lord as to please him for unintentional sin to be fair, right? We learned that from the Pentateuch. Why? Because perhaps my son, my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. You see, this is the first shot we get at what Job's righteousness looks like. He does not want to curse God in his heart. He don't want his kids to curse God in their heart. He's not too worried necessarily about, I mean, he does external things for sure, but he's worried about what's happening in here with his kids. He's like, oh, I'm going to make a sacrifice just in case in some moment of struggle, in some moment of weakness, in their hearts, they were, they were you know, negligent toward God. They, were, they cursed him. They said, oh, I, you know, I'm a year older, whatever it was. I don't know what it was, but he was worried that inside his kids where he couldn't see, they had betrayed God in some way that needed a righteous sacrifice. It's wild. I, I can't help but stand in awe of who Job is as a, as a man, as a believer in God, as a husband, as a father, as a neighbor, as a leader. He means it. 
Job was righteous. And by the way, this is his regular habit. He didn't do this one time for this one party, this one thing. It was every time he would make sacrifice, every time. And the word actually means daily. See, we have the season of feasting, and then you say, well, maybe it's their birthday or whatever, but Job was the kind of dad that like every day was worried about his kids. Where are my kids at today? What are they up to today? Are, are, they, are they betraying God in some way? And I believe in God so much that I'm worried for my kids' sake about his right, I'm gonna say the word, judgment, his judgment. We're gonna get into all that stuff. So that's Job chapter one. We can't go any further in chapter one today because there's just too much in there. So instead, let's go to chapter 42. You ever read the back of the book first? I can real books, like back of book first. One of my favorite things to do if you don't care about the material, you know, is just to read the last sentence, just to mess things up. <laughs> and then he died. Okay, he's going to die. And then you go back to the beginning, you read the book, you know. So spoiler alert, if you've never read the book of Job, we're going to read chapter 42. Verse, uh, let's do verse, because um, we're going to get something out of this. J- verse uh, 42, verse 12. We're going to do 12 through 17 here. So hear the word. Because I, I, what I want to do, why am I doing this? I want to book in the story a little bit, right? I told you the beginning. We're going to get a whole bunch of stuff next week about what happens with God and Satan and Job and all these things, right? The affliction, I'm going to call it. But so we started out now. You know Job, he's righteous. He's a righteous man. He's concerned the righteousness of his kids and everything else. I'm going to fast forward to the end here. And for better, for worse, it's what we have in the end. Because if you journey through the book, you might get here and go, what? What in the world? But check this out. Verse 12. The Lord, and here is Yahweh, not Elohim, Yahweh, the God who speaks, blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep. He had 6,000 camels. He had 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima. Jemima, I believe that's right. The, the second, Keziah, and the third, Karen Hapak. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died old and full of years. So I want you to see at the end of the story that Job is restored. And I'm not doing that to ruin the experience of going through it because it's going to be a pull to get through Job's life. But I wanted to be honest about at the end when Yahweh blesses Job more than before. I told you we're going to come back. He's still a shepherd, still uh, nomadic, and he had all this stuff, but his main concern was the righteousness of God. And if you look between uh, chapter 1 and chapter 42, it's twice as much. He gets twice as much livestock of every kind, right? You see it there? The latter part was blessed more. He had 14,000 sheep in his, in his herd. He had 6,000 camels in his herd. He had 1,000 yoke of oxen in his herd. And he had 1,000 donkeys. And I believe everyone was his double, 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 double in his life. Why do I want, why do I want to say that? Because Job was successful. And I think we've got to root this book in the fact that Job was successful ultimately in his life. And, and not just in his life in like a theoretical way, but in a very practical way that, Job, that God, Yahweh, blessed Job more than before. But check it out, 13. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. That's a brutal 
sentence for me. I'm not going to preach right now. We're going to come back to it because we're going to get back here at the end of the series. But it is remarkable that, that God restores his sons and daughters. We're going to find out next week why that's a big deal. Here's something. We have the names of these, these uh, daughters, Jemima, Keziah, and Karen uh, Hapak. And um, they're all beautiful women. But here's something worth, he grants them an inheritance. See, there's something going on with Job's kids. In the beginning, his brothers or his sons invite their sisters and sisters are nameless. And at the end, they're named. Only the girls are named. And then I think something that's really radical is, and he gives them an inheritance with, his, with their brothers. There's something in, listen, there's something in Job's, in, in Revelation to Job's experience that it's bigger than he thought. It's more than he expected. And if you tell the story like, well, he started off bad, got really bad, but then it got better because he was faithful, which is all true, it cheapens it in some way because he starts to get a different vision for what God is doing, including giving his daughters an inheritance along with his sons, which was a radical idea to do. And then he was blessed, and J.C. talked about he lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. I think that means kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. You got to see them. I'll all be born. All the promises of God fulfilled. And then so he died, an old man full of years. And so we see him at the end of his life, but Job had success. And I mean that in every sense of the word. He had success uh, in his you know, calling, in his life, and his work. But he had success, more importantly, in his hope, listen to me, that he could not betray God in his heart. That somehow, despite of everything he's going to go through, and it's going to be a lot, that he will end faithfully, right? So, the last point then, so you got, you know, Job was righteous, Job was successful, and here's the third thing, Job had problems. I mean, Job had a lot of problems. And, and I'm convinced, and we're going to see as we go through here, and you can go with me, and you can help me understand, but the truth is that ultimately, like I said about Jonah and about the other things, about Peter and Judas and everyone else, is that God is after something in, uh, in us, and, and God is after something in Job. JC asked the question, why in the world, we're talking next week, why in the world does God point out Job to Satan? Because God is after something in Job that he wants. And Job has made a commitment. Interesting, in the book of James, I was reading around there, it says, make no oath, right? So James is like, remember Job and don't make any promises. Let your yes be yes, you know, be no, or you'll be condemned, right? Because Job had made a pledge. I'm not gonna betray God in my heart. And, and, and that comes up again and again in the book of Job. But Job had problems, real problems. And why would that matter? to us, here's, here's why I think. Do you think that successful people haven't had problems? So I think this book cuts right into our everyday life. He, he, JC shared it, man. We have some functional morality that says, if you do the right things, you're always blessed. If you do the wrong things, you're always cut off. And bad things will happen to good people, and good things will happen to bad people. And honestly, church, that's childish. That's crazy. And, and it completely disjoints our experience of life. Do you believe that, uh, that successful people have problems? Listen, do you believe that righteous people have problems? Because if you don't think that that's true, it betrays some fundamental brokenness in our understanding of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. 
We don't allow ourselves. I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and I said, how are you doing? They were going through a really hard time, and they're like, I'm okay. And I go, you know it's okay not to be okay, right? I'm not trying to make you not okay, but you don't gotta be okay, because this is terrible. This is hard. Life stinks sometimes. It's not fair. You know, like, kid, man, it's not fair. You know your best thing, in my opinion, your best thing to say is you're right. It's not fair. Don't say, oh, I'll make it fair. Okay, all of you brothers and sisters get the same thing. We'll make it fair. No, no, because that's just sitting up the next time when it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Sometimes life stinks. See, we can think that if we're righteous, we won't have problems. If I can just do good enough, then all my problems will be solved. Or we can believe that if we were just successful enough, then we wouldn't have problems. You know what, man? If I made that kind of money, I wouldn't have problems either. If I had that kind of life, I wouldn't have problems either. Baloney. No. We have problems. Everybody has problems. Here's a second error. So that's one error. Error is to think if we were righteous, we would not have problems. If we were successful, we would not have problems. Listen to me. We can think that others who are righteous don't have problems. Well, of course, you don't. You, know, you go to church, right? You don't have problems. You read the Bible, right? You don't have problems. You believe in Jesus, right? You don't have problems. Like, can we be real a minute? Yes. Yes. Problems. Listen to me. And problems I can't even deal with. I don't even know where to go with. We can think that if others have success, they don't have problems. Well, of course they're happy. They're on easy street. They're living the life. Really? Talk to them. Talk to them. You know a funny thing, and this is a confession for me, early in my ministry, I worked in uh, IT at uh, hospitals, and because of that, we would serve top-tier docs, you know, and uh, because of my position there and because of my willingness to basically take abuse, I would always go to these top docs, nobody wanted to serve, I'd show up there and, you know, help them out, and, and it was crazy, and I liked them, I was a believer in Christ, I helped, but I really liked them, but, you know, I didn't really want to talk to them, and I thought, because, you know, I thought, I thought, these people got it made, how, why do they need Jesus? That's a betrayal of my heart. That I would think that someone had such success, such, you know, life figured out that they wouldn't need him. But I was an IT guy. I saw everything. You know, IT guys see everything, you know that? And I was like, oh, they need Jesus. And I just prayed, God. Intervene in their life, God, speak, speak how? They got everything. They got the, the car and the wife, the kids, the life, the accolades, the, the, the medals on their chest, you know what I mean? They got it all, and it's like, oh, God, you got to speak in their life. They don't even know that they need you. No, that's an error, church, that we think that others don't need Christ. Of course they do. See, the truth is, when we get this out of the story of Job, is that everybody needs God. Everybody does. And I know you and I go, yeah, we do. But that guy, that girl, that person in your life needs Jesus Christ. And I hope that we see, because this is, and the, the thing about this prayer is it's not in our control, but that I think we need to hear from God sometimes. We're talking this, this series about errors that we make, you know, uh, and it's going to be great. But ultimately, um, there's some success and some failure in the book, but ultimately, we need to hear from God on some things. I don't know what is it for you. Like, if there's things right now, you need to hear from God on something. Like, you're just like, I need to hear from you. And maybe you're not even allowed to ask the question. You're like, uh, 
No, I've been a Christian long enough. I should just, I just know and trust. And I, I, but man, I want to say, ask, ask, God, what are you doing? God, what is this about? Like, why do I feel this way? Where's this coming from? What part of my heart isn't righteous? Uh, I'm going to close with this idea here. The whole book of Job is longing for a Savior like Jesus Christ. Spoiler alert. The whole book. If only there were a mediator between me and God. If only someone could intercede that I could be known fully to him in all of my sinfulness and all my brokenness. That's Jesus, and we have him. Sometimes we act like we don't. I, don't. I don't know what we're doing. So maybe today there's something in your life you're like, I gotta hear from God. I'm gonna invite you to talk to God about it. Be honest, you know? Honest with yourself, honest with God, and maybe honest with a few people in your life. Like, I'm really wrestling with this issue. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this day and this opportunity to have a revelation from you of who you are, of the depth of your story, the time that others have spent following you and, and our own life, how we know you. I pray this morning that, that, that we would not be afraid to ask you, that we would fear you, but not be afraid of you. We would be willing to ask you hard questions, to wrestle, to struggle, to wonder, uh, to be in awe, really, of all that you've done, all you are doing, and all you intend to do in our lives. I pray this morning that as we get into this book, that uh, if we're maybe going to read it for the first time, that you would, you know, encourage our hearts in it, because it gets, and you know, I thank you for it, though, because it, it's just, it exposes the depth of our souls in some ways. It exposes the dark parts that we don't talk about. Would you do your work in that? Would you help us to sense your Holy Spirit's guidance in the places that are, that are um, uh, safe in your presence to share and to know uh, more fully our own narrative, our own story, and who we are in you? Uh, we thank you so much for Jesus who makes this relationship possible that we can even talk to you like this casually, Father, because of his blood on the cross that invites us into this real, enduring relationship and then we thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit that comes in in those hard times and just speaks and groans and, and uh, utterances, Father, on our behalf. We love you so much. We thank you for Job. We thank you that his story is preserved for us, and not just that, but that you continue to teach us through him. Um, and then the last thing, Father, is that uh, help us not believe lies, uh, that bad things don't happen to good people, uh, that good things don't happen to bad people, and, and, the, and the biggest one of all, that, that you're not just. We believe you are just because of the cross of Christ. Help us to see your justice in Jesus and then cling to that alone. We pray in his name. Amen.